And not only did he have a relationship with the government, but he had a role in the FBI. In this world, you look out for number one. Few, if any, people take that oath to the grave. These guys are on the streets, so they're involved in, in hustling. Welcome back into the Original Gangsters podcast. Uh, this week we are very pleased to uh, have some in-studio guests, some uh, Motor City luminaries in the hip-hop game. We got uh, moving uh, left to right on your radio dial. We got Mikey Eckstein, who uh, is one of the most connected people in the entertainment and music business in Detroit. It's been around for about 20 uh, 20 years has managed uh, a number of uh, very successful uh, hip hop acts. Uh, he's involved in a, uh, a zillion different entrepreneurial e- uh, endeavors and has a lot of love uh, coursing throughout the veins of the city. Then we got uh, two very, very accomplished DJs, DJ Salam uh, Rec, uh, as well as uh, DJ Godfather. And these two guys are, uh, they're both turntable terrorists, but uh, <laughs> uh, Salam Rec is, is the official turntable terrorist. Uh, just coming off tour with some of the uh, uh, West Coast legends of the hip-hop game. We're going to talk about that. DJ Godfather has kind of been repping uh, Detroit, uh, both hip-hop and, and you know, ghetto tech and, 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 and electric electronic uh, music that, that Detroit's known for now going on you know 25 years maybe even more uh, yeah. the legend in the game these guys are true true OGs that's why we wanted to have them on the OG podcast I'm Scott Bernstein I'm along with my partner uh, partner in crime Jimmy Bucciolato, uh to my left uh, say hi Jimmy hi hey now hey now <laughs> and then uh, I'm the ones so and twos behind the glass uh, Roberto Beauchene, the and forgive uh, me because we have DJs in the house here. I'm going to completely geek out and ask a bunch of questions about equipment. And, and it's going to get <laughs> real. We're do some deep dives. Uh, <laughs> stop me if I get too geeky. Uh, but you know, Roberto is uh, is the straw that stirs the drink here. So uh, you know, this he helped conceive this whole uh, project, and uh, we we just want to you know jump right into it. Right before we got on uh, air, we were talking to Salam Rec when he when he walked in the room and he dropped a bomb. on on us, we didn't even know this. The first thing he says is, "You got you, you know that at one time I was very, very close friends with Henry Hill, the star of the uh, the movie The Goodfellas, the the character that Henry Hill or that, that Ray Liotta plays is Henry Hill." And uh, you know, what's uh, funny is Rec- Michael Imperioli called me earlier on my way here. Yeah, we were gonna we were gonna mention that later on in the podcast that uh, Mikey is uh, very close with uh, Chrissy Maltesante from The Sopranos, aka from the, Let's get him on the phone, Mike and Michael Imperioli, who who starred in a, a a show in Detroit called Detroit One Eight Seven a couple years back. I'm guessing, Mikey, that's how you met him. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I yeah I was hired by ABC to do uh, consulting and the main cast relocation and stuff. So, so yeah, uh, gr- became great friends. Uh, obviously, still talk to this day, and yeah, great guy. I had him had him come out to do a uh, the the intro to Eminem and Rihanna's uh, video for their stadium tour. Oh wow! I got a call from M's camp like, uh, could you still talk to that Michael Pirioli guy? I'm like, yeah. You know, holidays and stuff. How's the, uh, you know, how's the family doing and all that? And oh, cool. We we want to get him to do this video. Oh, okay. When? Tomorrow. Oh, okay. Where? <laughs> Detroit. I'm like, okay. You know, he's still a working actor. Like, <laughs> uh, I called him up. He's like, if you if you hang out with me on set in the trailer, I'm in. So w- within 18 hours, we had him there, and he killed sweet. it. it was great. That's awesome. Now, to say that you were friends with Henry Hill, or you knew Henry Hill, 
Is that a good experience or a bad experience? Let's or? jump right into that. <laughs> it, it was a great experience. It's a crazy experience. It was a learning experience. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up this picture because I got this picture goes inside with the story. But as, I'll tell the story as I look for the picture. So when I first moved out to California, you know, I was working with some friends of mine in a, in a weed dispensary. You know, just killing time while working on other stuff. And so uh, one of the guys that used to come into the weed dispensary, who is now a very, very well-known producer, his name is Perps Beats. He, he's part of the 808 Mafia. And his, his mom was dating or married to Henry Hill. So Henry Hill used to come into the weed shop all the time and hang out. And when he'd come into the weed shop, I would like sit down with him and ask him all kinds of crazy stories. Just because I was infatuated. A lot of the guys didn't really know. You know, I'm like, man, you're Henry Hill, man. What are you doing here? And so he'd come in and kick it. And and at the time, Henry Hill was, um, I don't know if you guys. Uh, Were you selling him bud? No, well, he would smoke weed, whatever he was doing. But he would come and hang out and just kick it. Okay. You he, know, and, and he wasn't coming in there necessarily to, to buy. No, bud. He, he was just, just coming to come in to and, hang out, basically, yeah. you know. And at the time. Um, you know, he was selling things online. I don't know if you guys remember. I was Henry say, Hill did he was have doing, money then? No, he sold paintings. Paintings. He had, he had his own spaghetti oh, yeah. sauce. Yeah, yeah, he had spaghetti sauce. Yeah. You know, because you know he got he had got kicked out of the witness, witness protection. protection program, yeah. He got busted selling ecstasy. He was just doing everything wrong. So you know, he was doing these paintings and stuff, and he came and brought one one time. <laughs> And when he used to come to the shop, I used to kick it with him and talk to him. Like, you know, I'd ask him stupid questions. Like, at the time, I had just got a DUI in, in California, and I was really pissed one day. Like, damn, this fucking DUI is just... Can we cuss on this? Sure, of course. Okay, this fucking DUI is just costing me money. It was like $10,000. I was like, pissed. Son, I robbed him. And so I was asking Henry Neal, I'm like, Henry, man, how many DUIs you had? And he's like, ah, man, I had about 12 DUIs. And I was like, 12? Because I was telling him, like, you know, one more, I'm going to jail. And he's like, ah, back then, they didn't give a shit, man. They just pulled you over and gave you DUI and kept you... You kept driving home. Yeah. So... So I would always cut into him and ask him stupid questions. Like, I, I asked him one day, I was like, how many guys did you kill, man? Come on, tell me the fucking truth. How many guys did you kill? And he's like, well, I went to I went to court for four, but 27 to count. You know, like, he's crazy. So he was doing these paintings, you know. So one day he comes in and to the shop, and I'm talking to him. And I'm like, hey, Henry, man, I want you to do me a favor. And he's like, what do you want, Salam? Well, anything for you, man. And I'm like, I want you to draw me a painting. I want you to draw me a painting of a rat. Because you are the biggest fucking rat ever, man. You know what I'm saying? Wow. He started laughing about it. He's like, no problem. I got you. You know what wow. I'm saying? And then about a week or two later, he came into the shop, and he brought me a painting of a fucking rat smoking a bong <laughs> and wrote a two salam Come on. from Henry Hill. And I got this painting in my house now framed. That's awesome. And I got to show you guys a picture of this. Because even people to the day, they come in and they're like, man, does that say Henry Hill on the corner? I'm like, yeah, he made that painting. Wow. Dude, how did I not know this story? So, Salam, where did you grow up? I grew up, I was born in Flint, Michigan. Okay. And I basically grew up this whole area, Flint to Detroit, the whole time, you know, running back and forth. You run into Breed at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, Breed was a great, great, great friend of mine. MC Breed uh, yeah. was one of the first big hip-hop artists to break out of Michigan. 
uh, in the early '90s. Him and the uh, his crew of guys had, had a had a top. At least it was a top yeah, twenty five. MC Breed, oh, yeah. the DFC. He, yeah. you know, Tupac, he did that. He did that. Tupac. It's my fa- it's one of my favorite Tupac and uh, yeah. collaborations. One of the best tracks ever. Yeah. Just yeah. trying to you, get mine, baby. Shout out to uh, Night and Day and them, and shout out to Warren G because a lot of people don't know that Warren G produced a lot of those songs on on that. Uh, MC Breed album that yeah. really blew him out big when he had the songs wow. with Tupac and mm. all that stuff. We gotta get mine. So, so Warren G produced a lot of those songs. I was playing them. I DJ for Warren G now. Yeah, so, 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 so tell the so tell the uh, audience who else you DJ for. Well, I DJ for the Dog Pound and I DJ for Warren G and I work with the whole you know Snoop uh, Camp. So and we're we, so, uh, we're all huge fans of, of West Coast hip hop from that era. It really. Uh, I mean, they can expound. Uh, Roberto and Jimmy can expand on it, but I know for me uh, that uh, that 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 type of hip hop raised me. Right. Yeah, and uh, I'm even so orthodox about it. I won't even listen to uh, New York rap. Yeah, we've talked they, they about, we, we, about it. I'm seriously, I I, I will only listen to uh, Death Row shit. Um, but, uh, but but that's funny. Dude. I mean, I don't know if you how in depth you talked to these guys, but with the Warren G story was always interesting. In the terms of that, he was wasn't signed to Death Row, but had a lot to do with the Chronic album, yeah. and the Def Jam guys were really well. If it wasn't uh, for Warren G, there would be no Def he Jam. Kinda, he kind of he connected coined, Snoop he, with Drake, and didn't he coin the term G Funk? Yeah, he he is the G Funk. Yeah, he yeah. I mean the whole G-funk. the whole terminology. He's the G-child. That we, yeah, you know that what we, I'm saying he rebirthed Def Jam. Def Jam was dead. Yeah, Death Row had killed Def Jam. It was over. But the guys at Death Def Jam had the smarts to sign Warren G, and I, I don't know how Suge wasn't really happy with that. Yeah, he was the first uh, West Coast artist out there, and then they think that after that they took Dub C. I think Dub C. He went to 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 Def Jam. There was a a, a, a production company, uh, PMP. Paul Stewart. He had a production company that had signed like Montel Jordan, right, Warren right, right. G, and Dub C, and then he went and took his artist out. And uh, got him signed to Def Jam at that time. There's a Tupac song on the Poetic Justice soundtrack that Warren G produced. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the song Warren yeah. G. Because he even shouts him out. He's like, well, that's Warren G on that. Here, I'm going to pass that around. That's the painting that Henry Hill made. <laughs> that's great, man. That's mm-hmm. great. And for me, Warren G, I mean, everyone oh knows about God. Regulate, which is an all-time classic. But to me, the second single... Uh, uh, this, DJ this DJ is like to me. It's I, I like that song just as much, if not better, than Regulate. Yeah. Yeah. This is the Shack. Yeah, right? this is the Shack. That's, that's Summertime the in the LBC. <laughs> right. I right. mean, it can go. We can keep going on. He's got hits. Uh, Indo Smoke. Oh, oh, no. oh, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. And his ver- his verse on. Uh, uh, ain't, no I, fun. ain't no fun is one of the best <laughs> verses Classic. ever. Yeah. Yeah. Corrupts, corrupts too. And and you know, and Warren G's the nicest guy ever, man. Real cool guy, down to earth. And uh, shout out to all the females that embraced Warren G during the uh, female movement because they were saying uh, only Warren G can regulate me. <laughs> yeah. so shout out to all the females that embraced Warren G as well. You know, what I'm nice. saying? we love you. Yeah, yeah, if I can, since we're on this topic, and I see you're rocking a, a DPG. Uh, uh, chain there. Yeah, it was one of the first things um, I noticed. That's dope. And, and I, I, I'm a huge fan, and um, so I know you've produced some stuff with uh, Daz and also DJ Live with with them. Uh, what's it like uh, working with the Dog Pound? Because um, I mean, for I think for us, I mean, that's like that's like they're rock stars, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you grew up like we did, listening to yeah, that music. So let me tell a little funny story with Dog Pound. First time I ever met them. Was I did a show? I was producing a show at St. Andrews, and Dog Pound was on the bill. And it was Snoop's uncle, maybe or dad. It was Snoop's pops used to roll with them. 
Yeah. Oh, no, Uncle Junebug. Uncle Junebug. He looks Rest just like Snoop. Oh, my God. This guy came in. It was this, the, like the most stereotypical hip-hop moment of uh, the Uncle June who, who looks just like Snoop, like an old Snoop. And he was a character. He came in with the Newport. Half of it about Ash about to fall off. He called me and said, Mike, you the promoter? Okay, cool. I just need a bottle of Hennessy and a big bucket of chicken, and we good. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. He, that, that, that was it. What a rider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they dressed as hip-hop. Like, you know. Yeah, I bet when the group got there and he asked where the food was, and they were like, they ain't bring us no food. I don't know what's going on with this show. (laughs) So how how did you get, like, hooked up with with the dog So, long story short, you know, I first started out here with uh, D12 and Eminem and everybody, and during the time, my brother was living in the West Coast, and he was producing uh, Snoop and Dre and everybody. Shout out to Fred Reck. And so when the guys used to come fly over here to Detroit, like Nate and everyone, they used to come and hang out at my house. Daz is, uh, you know, a lot of their families from Detroit. Snoop's I dad's know, from I Detroit. Know. You know, Exhibit's no from shit. Detroit. A lot of people, their family was from Detroit, and they moved out west. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. And Daz's mom used to live here in, in Brighton. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so they used to come, um, and, you know, they used to come over my house. And... And I like I used to live across the street from a liquor store, and so the liquor store guy used to always watch my house, and he'd call me sometimes like Habibi, there is a big black guy on your porch. Everything okay? And I'm like, no, nah, it's cool. And I find out I'm like, you know, Daz is on the porch, or Nate Dog's at my house, and so you know, I'd go over to the house, and you know, they'd hang out with me all the time. So, um, long story short, fast forward, you know, we had a lot of stuff going on here with Eminem and 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 D12 and all of us, and then when Proof got killed. You know, rest in peace, a proof. You know, a lot of stuff started to kind of die down and was kind of, you know, not doing as much work. And everybody was kind of like mourning pr- pretty much. So during that time, um, Daz and Corrupt and them were like, hey, man, you know, if, you know, if you're not doing nothing, they were between DJs because their DJ had Snoop took their DJ from them and took him on the road with them. And so they were like, hey, man, if you, if, you know, if you'd like, why don't you come out here to the West Coast and come do a couple shows with us and it works out you know just move out here and so i flew out to la and i remember we went to miami and did the first show and i killed it and then we just we've been rocking ever since you know and so what 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 year would that have been like that have been about 2007 okay yeah so that was was that after because i know at some point corrupt split from the dog pound and and then now he's back, but everything's that was cool now. They did their split was before that. That was before that. Yeah, was before because that, that was yeah. when at the time, um, Krupp, he was a president of Death Row. That's right, right, he, right, right. And Shook gave him a bunch of money. Right. right. And so he was the president, but you could tell that he didn't want to be there at the whole time. It was right. like, kind of like a money move, you know. And you know they they worked out everything and got back together and. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, have you had a chance to discuss with those guys what their opinion of? Uh, the the couple movies that have come out in recent years, uh, All Eyes on Me, and uh, then also uh, Straight Outta Compton. I mean, the movies. I mean, I'm not going to speak on Daz them. Daz is pretty opinion. vocal on Daz it. Daz is pretty vocal about it because they do left, leave out a lot of stuff. Obviously. So Daz has been kind of vocal yeah. against yeah. the portrayal. Uh, well, there's certain things that they might have left out here that they would know more than I was yeah. back in you know in the 90s when they were running around doing that and. And he's he's kind of adamant about putting out now a dog pound movie, showing the whole thing from their how side. The, yeah, yeah, from their side of the of the thing and how I mean, it came around. For me, at the time as a teenager, I remember 
watching the show. Remember the the movie that the show, yeah, yeah the from ninety four, ninety four, ninety five, yeah. And that was the first. That was he, awesome. The first yeah, time that really was great. saw the dog pound and Snoop and these and guys Warren on G? tour and Warren and they were G in the recording studio and Warren G. And, and you um, see Russell Simmons go visit Slick Rick in prison? Exactly. <laughs> it's such a great movie. Yeah. I love it. It's a great movie. It was yeah. like the first of its kind. I think. Yeah. You yeah. Know, well, the Dog Pound has a really good history with working with artists here. They were on like the, I think Krupp was on Slum Village's first yeah. record. Krupp uh, was also on, a Chris. remember Chris Webber had an album? <laughs> yeah, C-Web, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've actually what? seen C-Web at the Clippers game when we were there, uh, you know, a month ago, and he was walking through the hallway, and me and Krupp were like, man, you remember that video you shot? <laughs> shout out Detroit. big celebrity video. And shout out DCD Yellow Jackets basketball. Yeah. Three, three-peat under uh, yeah, C-Web. Yeah, these guys never learned their lesson. Andre Drummond, all <laughs> yeah. these guys got to put out s- singles, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you know um, uh, Eminem, um, my understanding is that he cites Corrupt as one of like his favorite, his favorite MCs, MCs and yeah. big yep. influence. Wow. Yeah, during anger management Jada, tour, Corrupt, Nas, and then me. He was he was yeah. playing the Space Boogie album. Right, it's front, it's from he has it in a lyric on his mm-hmm. bus. Yeah, yeah, he was banging that album the whole yeah. anger management tour. Mikey, and, Mikey uh, just was right. He's he's got that in a lyric to one of right, his songs. Right, and and yeah. Scott and I have talked about this like. Um, Obviously, Snoop and Tupac are the titans, right? But but we're we're really interested in like the dog pound and then the outlaws. Like we we always found like the the, the guys side, that were like the, the side associates guys. to be like yeah. just as interesting. I love the outlaws. And, and actually, you know, sometimes actually, you know, uh, putting out just as uh, uh, music that we like just as much as as the big guys. Big psych. So, I mean, so, how well, it was always exciting to hear those guys on the tracks as a featured artist. Yeah, right. right. So you, right. Th- that was always the favorite. thing. And then Daz had a solo. Remember the first solo album he put yeah. out uh, uh, back. Uh, it was sort of the end of Death Row. I mean, yeah. Uh, but uh, we were all always big fans. So, of, so uh, let's uh, pivot over to Godfather for a second and uh, tell us just about the journey um, from you know growing up in this area to being able to make a name for yourself and not just make a name for yourself uh in in what you do but make a name for what you do and and push it outside of the boundaries of just Detroit and, it, and in a lot of ways it became kind of a movement like the whole ghetto tech uh genre yeah. you know you really you 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 I never you, even you, made up my name that's a funny thing right like my DJ name I never even made it up yeah so tell it's, us it's like a um so my uh he's still my partner to this day uh his name's dj dick he used to play on 96.3 back in the day when they would have like remember it's like top 40 back then in the 90s yep and he was like you know him and uh, what was it claude young jim mcvicker these are all like the mixes on the radio and at this time i was 15 years old and this is like right when i got my turntables and (laughs) i met dj dick and i'm like Man, I think I got like the wrong shit, man, because like my turntables don't look like yours and this and that. <laughs> and, and he's like, "Well, you got belt-driven turntables. They're, they're like with a s- stereo system." I'm you like, yeah, the, but I bought two of them. Twelve hundreds. I bought two of them from ABC. So like, like, yeah. So then he he kind of turned me on to getting twelve hundreds. Actually, he's a he's a a lot of a lot of techno cats love this story. My my first set of twelve uh, hundreds were actually from the Wizard Jeff Mills. And, you know, Jeff Mills, you know, like a Legend. techno guy. Yeah, 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 one of the pioneers. So, yeah. yeah. And so DJ Dick knew Jeff Mills. And, uh, you know, I, I never met him. I'm like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, the, the wizard, Jeff, I think he's selling some turntables. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, do me a favor. Can you, you know him. So why don't you buy him, buy him. You'll get him for a better price than I would. Because I'm 15. I, I right. didn't have the money. And, and, and then I'll buy him off you. And so that that's what we did. So then all of a sudden... 
now I got the wizard 1200s. And then, so like the first like five, six months I started, um, that's all I was doing for like 10 years straight was just scratching in a turn to 10 hours a day. I should say was just scratching and practicing. And I would like listen to something Jazzy Jeff did or, or Jam Master J would do. And I was trying to emulate that scratch. Cause there's, you couldn't watch it on YouTube or anything right. like you could now. So I literally had to do everything by ear, which for people out there is just as much as a talent in an art form as playing yeah. the guitar or drums or anything. Yeah, oh, you you, you yeah. couldn't, you couldn't watch it on YouTube. It was the constant listening of a record yeah. and, and how to master that. I'd have to listen to how they did this routine. And, you know, when you're 15, I had no job. This is what I did. And, you know, so, so I, that's all I was doing was practicing. So, like, about a good five, six months goes by, and we're actually in 96.3, and I actually went with DJ Dick. And now, like, back then, radio, like, like commercial radio was the shit, you know, anything associated. Everyone followed the radio at that time, you mm -hmm. know, and so... It was uh, terrestrial radio. Yes, yeah, so it was I, the only ball game in town. I mean, that's how yeah. you consumed your music, 100%. other than buying a vinyl uh, record, buying a tape or a cassette, or buying a CD. Yeah, hundred percent. There's nothing and, to download. And, and <laughs> I, you know, I was just, I was ecstatic that I was just, I can't believe I'm in 96.3 with all these guys I listen to on the radio, and so they're all in the mix room, and it's 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 not on air, and you know they're just playing beats and everyone's scratching. And I got on and I, I like murdered them all, and, and they're like, "Wait a second! Didn't you just didn't you just start?" I'm like, "Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been practicing. I've been practicing. Like, 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 what do you guys think? You know, does yeah. it sound good?" Yeah. And they're like, "Do does it again." It sound good? No, I, I didn't know. I, I, you know, I'm like this kid. You know, and, and everyone's you know 19, 20 years old, and I'm yeah. 15, and I'm like, and these are all the people that I'm just like grew up to, and I'm like, they're all gods to me, you know, and I'm just like, and they're here, here they are, they're impressed by me because like. I'm doing all these scratch routines they couldn't do, right. you know? So then all of a sudden, you know, I started doing some stuff, and then some of the guys were like, well, wait, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just listen. Well, show us how you do it. I'm like, no, nah, like practice yourself. Like, like, like you know? Yeah, and then, well, I'm not going to give away and, my stuff. And then they were, like, they were like, oh, come on, man. Like, we'll, we'll repay you, man. We know how to return a favor. I'm like, what am I, the Godfather, bitch? Kiss my pinky ring. And then they're like, all right, DJ Godfather. Oh, there it is. And, then, and then they fucking, like, they kept calling me that shit. I'm like, no, don't don't call me that. Don't call me that. And then the funny thing, you do probably appreciate this. My mom's Sicilian, 100%. And my grandfather was actually in the Black Hand in Sicily. And then she, so, so she it's thought, only natural, right? So, so she she got mad at me because she thought I was trying to play off my grandfather. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I didn't make up this name. I, I didn't, you know, and like, and then, you know, it wasn't like some big deep dark and family secret or anything but she's like no you you know you, don't call yourself that i go i'm not calling myself that i'm trying to tell people to stop calling me that you're not listening mom <laughs> and then and then and then it just stuck you know and then so, so then finally she learned how i like i got the name and you know talk a little bit about how you crafted your sound and how you know what were, what were the factors into kind of being able to develop that little that little you know Niche. carve out this part of this Detroit sound as your own which then by taking that part of that sound helped push the entire sound uh, kind of out beyond the borders of Michigan. Yeah, it was like you know, and, and when I first started DJing, I didn't even care about playing in a nightclub. I wanted to be a battle DJ. That's all I wanted to do like a three minute routine and just eat a motherfucker up on the turntables and that was like what I was really trying to do and then at that time, though, like Miami bass music, Two Live Crew, and all that shit was really hot, you know, at the time. And Gucci Crew, Gucci remember? Crew, all <laughs> yeah. that stuff, right? right? So, and Detroit was a huge market for it. So then, you know, 
for me, I loved Miami-based music. It was just fun party music, right? And then and anytime you turn around, all the hoes start dancing. Every everyone, <laughs> I mean, it was like magnetic to to, oh, yeah. to chicks at the time. Yeah. And then, but then I also loved techno music. I I, I like I, I like hearing some of the stuff that was coming out, you know. And so, let me ask you guys this: yeah. in terms of like we were talking about the the twelve hundreds and equipment and stuff like mm -hmm. that. What's the earliest memory? the both of you guys have of you know that first piece of equipment that changed everything you know you started out and everyone starts out with just some bs equipment like you said belt mm -hmm. drive turntables whatever i mean how far did you guys go into was it always just turntables and a mixer did it did it get mm -hmm. into like sampling did it get into mpcs did it get into well, for me i actually have a degree in sound engineering it okay. went all the way like i could yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I love recording and producing, too. So I actually started producing at the end of 16 years old. I bought an SP-1200. Wow, and, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, and we did our first record that came out when I was 17. And, uh, yeah, it was actually on the radio the month I graduated high school. Wow. Yeah. So you I know mean, I got asked at the prom. <laughs> I mean, I mean that was just so far. You know, for me as a kid, that was so out of the realm of even a possibility. You know, an SP twelve hundred or a you know MPC was like that was big yeah. money, man. I mean, that was like I'll tell it was, you, it was that's a, that's a mic drop I, coming into the coming into the a little criminal enterprise. Funded your supplement. It's not as deep as like some of the things you talk about, Scott. But I'll, I'll share my um, I'll share my version of organized crime. But so when I was fifteen, too, this is right before I started DJing the Teen Club. I worked at Farmer Jack. Yeah, that was the jam back okay. in the day. So that was the Kroger of its day. And this is when they still had a human counting the pop bottles. So oh, yeah. I would tell no my boy, cameras. I would tell my, and there's people on Saturdays that were literally bringing in three, $400 of fucking pop <laughs> returns. And, you know, I think it was like after over 50 bucks, you just had to go get a signature from the manager. So I did that. So I tell my boys to bring in bags of garbage. And I was like, I'll split the money with you. <laughs> so when he did that 10 times 50, every Friday yeah. and Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, that added up. So that's how I was able to get my turntables <laughs> and my SP-1200. So that's Detroit, baby. Just on your grind 24-7 by any, by any means necessary. You know, like I've always said, Detroit is a gangster city. Whether or not you're oh, yeah. doing hardcore criminal activity or if you're around the margins or you're not a criminal at all, just being from Detroit makes it's, you gangster. It's crazy because owning businesses now, like, I actually feel rotten that I did that. You know? But when I'm, when I'm a kid, when I'm 15, you're, you're not thinking it's straight. It's all about you hustle, know? man. You got to do what you got to do. And now Farmer Jack's closed, and I wonder if I yeah. had anything to do with that. <laughs> it's all DJ. I, I, I know some nightclubs in LA that still do that to this day. They won't let the security or anybody throw the garbage away. And they'll bring a team in to sort all the garbage out. But, then, but I was just wondering, like, but you know, before you would have a laptop, I'm saying the years before there would be laptops and, and digital and yeah. all that stuff. Would that stuff be integrated into the turntables and the mixer? Would you guys be hitting samples or would you be triggering? Well, DJing and producing are, in my opinion, are way two different things. There are certain DJs that can't produce. There are producers that can't DJ. Um, and um, 
so for me, I loved like I love beats. Like like I could actually like I, I wish like a lot of these hip hop records, I wish they just came out with an instrumental version. Nothing against the rapper. I I listen to the beats that deep. Like like I love instrumentals. And um that's all I do is listen to instrumentals in my car. You know, I just I don't know what it is. So I always had a passion for making beats. So then, you know, when I learned that the SP twelve and an Akai S nine fifty sampler were kind of like the go-tos at that time for, for making tracks. That's what I slowly got into. And then my partner, um, DJ Dick, that got me into DJing, he already had a recording studio. And at that time, he was recording, like, Basement Beats, which is, like, Eminem and DJ Butterfingers and mm -hmm. Manix and that whole crew. And he, he I remember he taught Esham how to use his 808. Wow. That's my partner. So then he, and then he taught me how to, you know, use the S950 sampler. So then I started making beats and, like, that's kind of how I took some of the Miami-based music I like going on your question earlier, and I took what I like out of a techno record and what I like out of a Miami-based record and kind of infused it and started producing records that had influences of both genres. I mean, I just and missed that. Tell me if you guys missed that so much. For me, like you said, instrumental versions. I love the fact that when I was a kid, and even to this day, I, I, I love to go back and find out where that sample came from. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and they come from the craziest records. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They come from... Look at... It comes, it, it comes from Bob James. It comes Dude, from Joe Sample. It comes from say, these jazz guys. But and, it also you know, sometimes it's like Regulate, which was one of the biggest hits Michael of the McDonald. 1990s, yeah. came no, from the Doobie yeah. Brothers, Michael McDonald. See, that's kind of how I got into the DJ And I love thing. that stuff. Was, was, was just being in love with hip-hop. And every time I used to buy a CD or a tape, or there weren't even CDs back then. It was just tapes and records. But yeah. I used to go in the back cover yeah. and look at the credits. We were just talking about that before we went on air. Yeah. Yeah. I used to take it a step farther. I started going to the old record stores and <laughs> digging for the samples. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even have turntables yet. I had the sickest record collection of samples before I even had a turntable yet. And my brother and them were already making and producing music. So then they started seeing the samples that I had in the old records that I was collecting and they started sending me lists from other producers and other DJs. So I was just going all, every time after I get out of school, I'd hit the record store, I'd dig till my fingertips turned <laughs> dust black and just find all these hot samples because Michigan was like a gold mine. Yeah. Nobody was looking for samples and if you did find rare gems, you know, they would be like a buck or two. Where you go to LA and now you look for a sample, they want 20, 25 30, dollars for the for vinyl, album. you know what I'm saying? And you don't even find the original vinyl now, it's all reprints, yeah. re, you know? And so from there, I started getting into buying the turntables. It's like an it's like an education process. I, mean, I couldn't imagine oh, yeah, a time because, they, like I said, I you know I was a teenager in the '90s and everything was CDs and cassettes or whatever. But I I couldn't imagine a time where, yeah, you they were trying to give away vinyl. I mean, they, they it, it you you could buy it for a quarter, fifty cents. You could mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You could probably walk out with a stack for no money just because there was no market for it, and you could just make a killing. There was a video I saw on YouTube. Now you guys have seen this where. Uh, his friends, his they went into Jay Dilla's um, mm. storage, yeah, unit, yeah, 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 where yeah. he's got you know hundreds of thousands of albums in there, yeah, and you know, and, and the stories of him being at Melodies and Memories in East Point and just digging and digging for yeah. hours. You and guys hours, remember Brian you know? Gillespie? Yeah, yeah. He he is my other partner with DJ Dick. I guarantee there's not there's not one person on this earth that has more records than him. Wow. Yeah. He, and and he he was actually tight with JD. He would actually give JD. Well, he was working in the record store. Yeah. Yeah, Brian. Right. so he was getting yeah. all the stuff when people would turn in and stuff. No, He'd get him ahead of time. Him and, for, him and his cousin 
Pat, Pat Ward, they they were yeah. They were like the human version of Discogs. It's crazy. They will tell you exactly where every hip hop. They will tell you like any any hip hop record yeah. came out where those samples came from. See, and I remember House Shoes started working over there, and mm -hmm. I'd go there, and they would always get when people come in and drop off their collections because they were selling them out. They would get all the gems right before everybody. So, you know Mikey, I mean? Mikey, why don't you talk a little bit about growing up growing up in Ann Arbor and your own kind of love affair with the the genre of music that you're in. Uh, whether it be hip hop or I know you, you're very you have very eclectic taste and, and you you've managed an eclectic uh, sure. roster of artists. <clears throat> but kind of talk about where your music taste kind of formed and how you used uh, your love of music to make it uh, to make yourself a career. And you really, I mean, you're talking about a self made man. I mean, Mikey Eckstein's you know the definition. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I you know um, I, I Mikey. I was always little Mikey growing up. And I got along with everybody. The freaks with the nine-inch nails literally through their hats, the the jocks, the skateboarders. The, you know, I just got along with everybody. I think it's kind of why I am where I am today. And, um, and uh, you know, I just had a love for hip-hop. And all my boys, you know, sit around, smoke weed, and listen to the new hip-hop, you know, records. Mostly, like, the New York stuff we were, we were real into. And you didn't like my comment then about I only listen to. No, you know, you know. That's what's then, great about the, you know, the the genre, though. There's he, you can be a huge fan of one sure. aspect of it, not necessarily yeah. a huge oh, yeah. fan of another aspect, I mean, look, but the, still respect the, yeah. it. It was he's not he's not saying that you didn't. No, respect we didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah we didn't. No, and yeah, I, we, yeah, it wasn't like we were like, oh yeah, yeah. you know, um, and you know. Um, one of our good friends who was my, in my teenage crew was this kid, uh, Emil Haney, who who turned out to be an incredible producer and has done stuff with, I mean, he did Bruno Mars, Locked Out of Heaven, Kanye, Discovered Kid Cudi, Eminem singles, you know. Actually, I, I who he had moved to, to, to New York um, right after, like, he turned like 17 or 18 with his mom and... I remember one one time I was on uh, D12 tour. The first time we were in New York, I'm like, "Hey, dude, our tour bus is pulling up at like 34th and 5th at about nine in the morning. Meet us there and bring some beat CDs." And, <laughs> and they did. We gave him the proof, and then it just kind of went from there. But uh, even going back further to my um, getting involved in this industry, um, there was a band in high school. They they went from they were called Strictly Game, and then they changed to Funk Intelligence. Um, and when they, we got out of high school, I was like, you guys are actually, wow, you guys are actually really good. <laughs> you know, like, and it was a diverse group. It was like funk, hip hop and jazz, which is fun. And, uh, they were like, yeah, we, we were, we were talking about it. We were like, could you use some of your older connections and see if you can get us booked into some bars? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I'd call around and then finally like got like, you know, the blind pig or somebody to give us a Tuesday night and then. I didn't know what the hell I was doing then. I was a kid. I'd call, like, get all the magazines, you know, like the the Ann Arbor Current, the Metro Times. I'd start calling. Hey, can you? I got a really good band. Can you? Can you write about them? They're like, yeah. Send us a press kit. I'm like, okay, no problem. What's a press kit? You know, like cover the phone and like, you know. And then we had one of the guys' dads that helped us get a website. We were so fucking cool because we had a <laughs> website, man. And like, and then I I, I got on. I would, I would go out and I would promote the shit out of the shows. Like, we we had this um, formula. We had I would get like eleven by seventeen, like bright 
neon orange and green posters. We just put the logo, Funk Intelligence, Blind Pig, bam, as big as we could. And I put about four or five hundred of those motherfuckers up all over Ann Arbor from every corner. So then the actually the 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 local promoter, which was Prism Productions, that actually got bought out by Ritual Productions, which um, then turned into Live Nation ultimately. Uh, they saw what I was doing, and they're like, "Hey, man, can can you come by the office?" They're like, "We'll pay you six bucks an hour to put up our posters too." I'm like, "Shit, you want to pay me six bucks an hour, and I'm already doing this? Hell yeah, man!" <laughs> like, so <clears throat> you know, boom, that, you know, Funk Intelligence blows up Ann Arbor. Like, we can't, you know, couldn't play any more bigger rooms. They're selling it out. Like every every time they play, I'm like, "Well, shit, I got to get in with the Detroit scene," and then I had a partner. Um, my good friend Marcy, she was a little bit older than me, and uh, we we kind of took we, we kind of split up um, different markets. I'm like, I'll take Buffalo, Chicago, Detroit. You take you know Columbus, whatever. We get out with other bands and swap shows with them, and um, and then I was like, man, I got to get in with the Detroit scene. Like, fuck, we can't. I mean, what more can you do in Ann Arbor? You know, so. I'd go out, i call Ritual, like, hey, man, can I, can I hand out some flyers or something, you know, and got in, and then, like, it just went real quickly, like, uh, my- How my, do you end up where you're actually managing a group like D12, or you're managing- So, so, so I started, one day, my, my boy who was the manager at St. Andrews, he asked me if I could go pick up, uh, they had a Ghostface Killer show, he's like, can you go pick up Ghostface Killer from the hotel? I'm like, hell yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. shit, hell yeah. yeah. So, you know- I, I picked him up. He's like, "Yeah, I usually pay people to do that. It's called a runner." And I'm like, "Oh, uh, you, I, you won't be? I'll be pay me to go run and pick him? Hell yeah!" Like so. Then right after that, so I was about nineteen. 20 and then i started producing shows for st andrews when i was 20 years old so i was the dude running the show but i couldn't even buy alcohol if it was if there was like alcohol on the rider that wasn't in house i'd have to have my runner go get it and so shortly after that um i was doing shows there and then uh d12 did their um cd release party there and I saw the the, the Mark, Mark Hicks and and he, here's the thing I was just in Buffalo. This this is funny how I kind of politic the bullshit of my way to D12. Not really bullshit, but so Mark Hicks is big on promotion, right? He's this big teddy bear kind of guy. He was real known for his street teams and stuff. Just a gem of a guy, like just a great guy. And he was all about promotions. And and I remember I was just in Buffalo with the Funk Intelligence Group, and I took off my sweatshirt, we were hacking something with some kids, and they were like. I had a D12 shirt on. They're like, dude, dude, that's the shit. I'm like, yeah, you guys want to be on the street team? Like, we'll send you some stuff, you know, and send back some pictures. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I use that to go to Mark Hicks and be like, hey, man, I got these guys. They really want to be on the street team, you know, just so I could get a meeting with them. And I'm like, by the way, you know, I've tour managed and I've settled shows for St. Andrews and State Theater and all that. So if you need help on the road, I, I know both sides. But I use that promotion thing to get the meeting to plant the seed and then just went from there. Like, you know, I was I was twenty one and 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 man, I got thrown in the fire, bro. Like I can handle anything after those days. Salam knows. Salam was with us for he came in a little bit after I had already So Salam, you were DJing for D twelve? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, on the first album, I remember on uh, Devil on I, Devil's Night. Yeah, I Wait, used. Did you come? Were you at the Warp Tour with the Yeah, 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 yeah. When they threw the rock at the bus and we all got off the bus and chased oh, them. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
Pistol Pistol, my favorite jam on that uh, oh, man. on that record, man. We um, me, well, I used to have a street team too as well back in the day. You know that was the thing. Like I had a street team and Mark Hicks had a street team. I used to do like Flint up north and he take care of all this down here. And at the same time, I was DJing, and so you know I knew Proof just from hanging out at Mark's house all the time. And so and I remember Proof, Proof at first had a before D twelve he had a group called the Purple Gang. No. no. He didn't. No, that came. That came. That came after. after? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. No proof was actually cut in a that group. out, Roberto. <laughs> proof, proof was in a group with Trick Trick called the Goon Squad. Well, okay, that's yeah. Right. But then he also had his. He had his own solo. Proof was all solo. He was everything. He yeah. was in another group with Mud and, Mud and those guys. Before, five Ella. Five Ella. He was in yeah. Five Ella, and and so they were doing all that stuff. But then Marshall proof got. Proof was the absolute glue. Yeah. To it all. Yeah. The glue. Yeah, definitely. To the whole city. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, proof. And, and just to give a quick teaser, uh, in an upcoming episode of uh, the original Gangster Podcast, we're going to do an entire uh, kind of memorial uh, to Proof and to Bugs, the two fallen members of D12. We're going to have a couple uh, actual D12 uh, artists in studio, and we're going to talk about them. So nice. we'll look forward to that coming up in the next uh, month or two. Yeah. Well, let, let's kind of finish up by talking, kind of going around the room and, and talking about your guys, maybe your uh, your favorite uh, gangster movies, portrayal of, of criminals, whether it be on uh, uh, on the television screen, on the movie screen, uh, throughout music, uh, guys that have been shout out on on on, uh, on rap songs or whatever. What uh, what kind of connects with you guys in, in that world? Well, I mean, we have got DJ is, Godfather over here. I mean, hasn't been shot yet. <laughs> 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 Mikey and I got some things going on behind the scenes that. Uh... Well, we were talking about uh, this weekend. We got together. We were talking about trying to think about all the, and there's not many that gangster style movies that were shot here. So we actually true did, romance. We didn't true, I, that's what I said. I said we true didn't romance. Put eight mile romance. in it, which you could kind of count. I mean, a there little was some bit. Gangsterism. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's character Gary in, Ol in true, true romance, romance Drexel. It's one of the best. Oh my god! Cameo. He's only in the movie like I think three scenes. He plays he's, this black or Dominican. He's like black a he, half black, he's half got a white. Scar on his face and dreadlocks. Yeah. He's got a, a it's a great, great I mean, character. And he nails the role. Yeah. And we, that was started out and was filmed in Detroit. Yeah, and Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson's in that Every for a second. Brad, we talked to James. James Gandolfini's in it. Yeah, Christopher that's right. Walken. It's my, it's my personal favorite Tarantino movie, even though it's just his screenplay. DJ Godfather. You never saw that movie? Oh, no. oh, True Romance. Oh, that's you're dope. A, yeah. They have a they, go, have, they have a festival at that hotel in L.A. Yeah, oh, really? it's still there. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? they, they have a festival every year oh, for that yo, movie. I that's did actually. You know what? I I managed a band from here, and we we stayed there. Okay, at the. Um, what is it called? The the Safari Inn. Safari Remember Inn. Brad Pitt tells yeah. the mob guys where they are. <laughs> He's like, uh, <laughs> no, that's the, the, the Safari Inn. He, oh, Brad Pitt plays a pothead that yeah. uh, just sits on the couch like the, the entire the movie, couch. but like he gives up, he gives away like parts of like oh the Him plot to different Rappaport characters. Fucking yeah, scenes together are just incredible. Rappaport, yeah, Rappaport's in Zebrahead, which I'm a big fan of, which was a, a movie, uh, his first movie shot in Detroit about a, a white kid in in the Detroit uh, high school. But DJ guy. Godfather, you you have to watch um, True Romance because uh, you're Siciliano like me. Oh my and god! And the scene, you know, scene. Scene. Oh, oh, one of the best scenes oh, of all time. Christopher Walken, especially appreciate. Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. And it takes place in Detroit on the banks of Detroit River. And Christopher Walken plays, especially if you're Sicilian, you gotta watch. And Christopher Walken plays like the Godfather of Detroit. Yeah, and he's going to see Dennis Hopper, who's 
son just ripped him off. Oh my god! So what else did we we brought up? Like RoboCop. Beverly, Beverly Hills Cop, RoboCop's classic. Beverly Hills Cop, drop it. Yeah, uh, that, Four Brothers, Four Brothers, Great movie. Four Brothers, yeah, yeah. I Which that. I don't particularly love, but uh, I love the opening with uh, uh, the Marvin Gaye music and and the Mark Wahlberg character coming back into town. I think that's an off. But I, I didn't I didn't particularly love the authenticity factor when it's like the day before Thanksgiving and they're like playing street hockey like on the streets of Detroit. Oh, that was the worst. I'm like, come yeah, on, guys. Yeah, Nobody's yeah, playing no one's playing, no one's playing yeah. hockey no, in Detroit. No, yeah. no, yeah, that shit was <laughs> like they're playing football or basketball, but no one's uh yeah. but they're not a bunch I, of people I, jumping I did, on the I east side of Detroit crazy. to play hockey. I thought I was the only one that thought about that. Yeah. I do I, have pictures of Trick Trick playing street hockey with my son though. Okay. <laughs> What, was he like the guys in Four Brothers? They had a complete like fur coat on. <laughs> There's a movie. Is it called Narc or Narco with Ray Liotta and? Um, oh yeah, uh, Jason Patrick. Narc. I think it's called yeah. Narc. It's a it's a Detroit film. So what about I more? Did, like, uh, I produced the Wesley Snipes movie here called Game of Death. All right, one Nobody's of it. seen it. Wasn't, didn't, they, <laughs> didn't they shoot the uh, Clint, uh, Clint Eastwood movie here? The Grand. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Grand Torino. Grand Torino. Oh, that was. Great. Yeah, we talked about Gross Point Blank. Was one yeah, that's that a crime, right? Here. What about more like uh, not not just yeah, Detroit, not just Detroit, but, but, but more traditional gangster films? What what what's like your favorites and and like. One or two yeah. of your favorites and why? One of mine would be a Bronx Tale. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good epic. choice. Epic. Yeah. I like it because it was it was good without being as commercial as Goodfellas. If that, I'm trying to explain it. Like I like that how makes like, sense. I like know? that Robert De Niro, who took ownership of the property, could have easily said, "I'm gonna play." The gangster. I'm going to play the star of the film, the Sonny character, and instead he played kind of a Ginz type, mm-hmm. and he played the non-gangster, the father, right. the, the the straight arrow. Right. And I kind of I kind of liked. Yeah. I thought his portrayal yeah. in that role was really. I mean, obviously De Niro is a legend, but uh, I liked the fact that he directed it and then decided to take kind of the lesser role. Yeah. I liked it because it, it was you know it made it okay that I could date black chicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but was it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it all worked out. DJ Salam, how about what, what's your favorite gangster film or TV show or both? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Goodfellas is up there in the top, but I really, I really liked Untouchables. Oh, that yeah. was oh, that was bad. my shit, man. Yeah, he, wow. He, you know he, what I'm saying? He disagrees with us on that. Scott doesn't like him. No, it's not Kevin Costner. It's not. No, 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 no. It's not that I don't like. Scott. It's not that I don't <laughs> like the Untouchables. I like the Untouchables. I don't think it. Sometimes it's put into the pantheon of Goodfellas, Godfather. Uh, yeah, and like I don't a, think it's I quite like at that level. It's such a, a good story. No, I like a lot it too. of. A lot of. It's, it's like an after-school special yes. of a, a version I, I, of a gangster movie. It's very. We said comic book. It's game. bloody. There's blood in there. Yeah, it but I feel bloody. like it, almost intentionally, it's like a it's, throw. It, like it's trying to be like a movie from, a, like you know, from another yeah, time. Like too, yeah. That's Brian De Palma, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would prefer more Carlito's Way. Carlito's Way, I love. I think that I, gets I, lost. I, I think Carlito's Way really gets lost because I just like the whole story with the Al Capone yeah. and, and the Untouchables because a lot of that too. Because back then. The purple gang was the Jewish gang yep. out here in Michigan. They were using them as the hit. Yeah, they were close. They, they were and traveling they were, back and forth. They were allies. They were, yeah, they, they were, were the allies. Close. So when yeah. you have a little bit of history of the mafia and stuff that's going on here in Michigan, and you watch Untouchables, you're like, oh, that's yeah. where our boys were going down there and doing that stuff or whatever. You know, it's kind of yeah, so closer to Detroit. As much as you guys know about the music business and whatnot. Oh, really? When you guys watch a movie like Straight Out of Compton or All Eyes on Me or uh, you know that Molly Crew movie just came out or whatever, like 
Are you guys able to suspend disbelief, or is it too hard for you guys? Because you you've been around these people to say, no, that didn't really happen. That didn't really happen. You know what I mean? I mean, about the Motley Crue movie, I, I'm per, that, sh- that probably happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that a lot of that shit probably I'm sure all true. of that. There's probably a lot yeah. that wasn't told. Yeah, those they, guys. they make, they make uh, it seem yeah. like it happened in like a six yeah. month span. You know what I mean? I didn't know that the one guy was screwing everybody's uh, wives or girlfriends yeah. in yeah. the thing. That's pretty crazy I didn't know that too. Either. Yeah, even the hangers and everybody, man. Yeah. He was uh, his own uh, oh, his own I, bandmates. I made a mistake. Yeah. And did you see the Elton John one? Yeah. I made a mistake by going with my wife, and I didn't know it was going to be a fucking musical. I yeah. hear it's a musical. It's like ten, it's like 15, I, 20% of it's a musical. I actually enjoy I watching story. Even if I'm not a fan of like yeah. this person, yeah. I, I enjoyed a, watching a story of how you started from here and got to here. Like I always... But then when it was a fucking musical, <laughs> I didn't know and like usually, usually when it comes to movies, even if I don't like it, I'll just sit through it and try to enjoy it and, you know... And but yeah, I was, was actually like contemplating no le- leaving. No, there was, but then all of a sudden there's a story. Then all of a sudden he starts singing yeah, and dancing, and you know the, all the people around on the street start singing with him and dancing. I'm like, oh my god, it was like it was a musical. It would be, like, no it'd be like a scripted film for like 45 minutes, and then it would yeah. break into a a music number for like two no. or three minutes, and then there'd be another 10 or 15 minutes of script, and then another two or three minute Forget music it. number. Let me ask you yeah. guys a question. How did you guys like the Narcos Mexico series and all that gangster oh, stuff? It's, with it's, it's fucking awesome. riveting. Yeah, I was pretty much stuck to my... I was Ben wa- binge watching that whole yeah. thing, you know? So uh, let's kind of wrap it up. Uh, you guys got anything else you want to uh, uh, tell the audience or anything you guys are What's the next uh, trying project? to pub? Uh, what, yeah, what do you guys got coming up on the slate of projects uh, for next you guys? project? Um, I'm working on more licensing. I, I got a lot of tracks in television. I actually got like four songs in the show Power, and so I'm working on some more licensing. Yeah, I've been hearing that. You know, that's a big thing now is trying to get you know tracks and shows and movies. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't. It's it's hard. It's hard to make money like selling music. So you got to find. You know, I I got a track in Adidas commercial and that show Claws on TNT and MTV, uh, the Road Rules and the Challenge. I I got songs everywhere. So I'm just working on a bunch of new licensing deals and. I was doing another podcast yesterday. We were talking about talking about Aerosmith, and it came up mm-hmm. like, "Well, what? Why wouldn't they just put it out another album right now? Because albums don't sell anymore. No one wants to no, buy an album. Yeah, they'll just do another tour. <laughs> right. yeah. So yeah. the only one, only way you can make money now is touring." And it, licensing it, it, merchandising. Well, not if you're, but it, a lot of these kids get stuck in these 360 deals, right? So now the label gets your some of your touring, your merch. You don't your, need that deal these days. Yeah, you yeah. can just do it yourself. You don't need that right? deal. There's so many outlets to promote yourself and your music. It's done. You don't we, even need to go to so, those labels. So would you encourage turning down a major label today? If you're already hot and popping and you got your fan base, you don't need them. You don't need them. Wow. Look at yeah. E40. He's been he's been independent right. forever. He's killing it. And there's, uh, I mean, there, you get paid off streams. Um, you know, speaking of a viral guy, Paulo yeah, we Frost just had just we just had in. one of the Detroit's hottest young rappers uh, pop in for a, a quick cameo. Polo, Polo, Polo Frost. What up? What up? What up? What up? So yeah, he had a has a. Uh, I think he's got something like 10 million views on uh, YouTube, and someone that is really uh, popping. You know, uh, is is as as the young kids like to say, is lit. In uh, 2019, 2020, Polo Frost, thanks for uh, Is that what they coming say? in. Yeah, yeah, that's what the younger say. <laughs> the youngins catch, say that. Catch Polo Frost, Anisha and Shea, DJ Godfather, with Little Baby at the Eastern Michigan Convocation Center, September 19th. Tickets right. are on sale now. Mikey, what else you got to uh, 
tell people about promote. We don't have enough time. Well, just, just just give us <laughs> yeah. the give us give the abridged uh, version. Right. Oh man, where can people go? Like where where, where can we find yeah, out more? Yeah, yeah, Polo, Polo's uh, Instagram is at Polo Frost. Um, and uh, what about tell you shout out your Instagram and your uh, all your all your social media? Yeah, my my social media is at Mikey Eckstein M I K E Y E C K S T E I N. Now, just tell me a little quick because this is my interest. Tell me a little more about this vodka that you're yeah. involved. Yeah, sure. <laughs> vodka. Have you guys heard about this thing I got going on? Anybody here? I have. It's, I've, no, tasted, I have. I've tasted it. It's very good. Oh my no, god. No, I know. Very smooth. Um. Yeah. So I am involved. Um. I'm a, a part owner of this Michigan-made uh, vodka called Noir Vodka, uh, distilled in Lansing. And um, it's starting to take off. I came, I got involved about four or five months ago, and I think um, I, I, I'm at like a thousand times more percent of what their sales did last year to when I came on. And um, you know, having this, uh, having all these resources and and friends like DJ Godfather, who has clubs and stuff downtown, we're now doing Sunday nights at 350 Terrace that the the vodka sponsoring it. You know, we're in Myers, um, we're in, you know, Creektown Casinos, we're in Little Caesarina. I mean, it, it's really starting to... Mike, you do all the booking off. for LCA too, right? For the Pistons games and all that stuff? No, no. Um, I did do a lot. We'd still do some of the booking for the Pistons, but okay. I booked, my God, I don't know, probably 100 artists for Pistons games over the, the yeah. years, whether, you know, for Halftime Max, you know, Nelly and... Ray J. Actually, we had Ray J. In the Ray hit. J. signed with the Detroit label. He signed with BNB, right? Yeah. 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 That's another. We saw. Talk about another <laughs> cross uh, we, cross yeah. section hey, between hey, crime and uh, pop okay, culture. Okay, we're talking gangster stuff real quick. Peanut Brown. Let me tell a funny story. Uh, so Ray J. hits me up. He's like, "Yo, I'm in town. Pull up to my um, video shoot. We're like in warehouse district in Southfield, whatever. We pull up, and all it is, it's the middle of the winter." There's like 15 cars. Everybody's just sitting in their cars. Like nobody's getting out. And I, I go to Polo and I said, man, who's, who's that in that G-Wagon? Whatever. He goes, oh, shit, that's Peanut. And I go, that's Peanut? I go to Polo dead ass. I'm like, oh, fuck. I got crazy beef with Peanut. Polo had a little <laughs> I go, man, I'm just kidding. Come on. Let me go say what up to him. He was dead ass. Like, he turned uh, white uh, for a second. was like, oh, boom. Shout out to <laughs> Peanut Brown, uh, CEO of BMB. Uh, <laughs> Did a little time for uh, drug dealing back in the 2000s and then came and started his label. Uh, has been able to get a lot of those kind of old school uh, R&B hip hop acts. I know that he uh, uh, has uh, v uh, Charlie Baltimore, uh, who was uh, Biggie's girl at the end, mm -hmm. uh, Ray J, a couple other names from the past. And yeah, uh, he's doing, they're doing he's, the thing uh, for sure. Big fan of Ray J's video yeah. work. Yeah. So so Ray J. <laughs> so Ray J. The, the Pistons didn't realize. That. Puts us all to shame, Ray J. You put us all to shame. <laughs> the Pistons didn't realize that it was Girl Scout night as well. They got a lot of phone calls, and then I actually I pulled a little one. I went. Back in, I went into the office after Ray J got there. I go, guys, the only song he's doing is I Hit It First. Wow. <laughs> They're like, no, you can't. I said, you can't. That's all, the only song he's going to do is I Hit It First. Ah. 
I was like, for the girls, kidding, but I had the whole front office and oh the my things like, ah, <laughs> ah, I'm gonna kill you. That's a good one. <laughs> Well, uh, we uh, just we want to say uh, thank you to you guys for coming by and uh, chopping it up, with, chopping it up with us on the OG yeah, podcast. Awesome, thank you guys uh, so much. You guys have some great stories, and thank you, DJ Godfather. Thank you, thank you. Uh, DJ Salamrak and Mikey Eckstein for hey, making uh, it all happen. Tomorrow night, you guys can. Uh, I'm on the Puff Puff Pass tour. Tomorrow night, we're playing at the Soaring Eagle. Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Warren G, wow. and the Dog Pound. So, oh, Michigan, good. come out, man. We're gonna be rocking that motherfucker and. Puff Puff Pass Tour, man. We're coming in your city. Grab nice. some tickets. Oh, when, when's the uh, How long does the tour go for? Oh, we've been on tour now, shit, months. So we've when, been going when, in and out How months. far do you, uh, how much, how many more dates do you guys have? They keep adding dates. Okay, so you'll, you'll be going through the fall? Yeah, we, we're going to go to Minneapolis after uh, here and uh, keep going. All right, well, thanks, guys. And it uh, means a lot that you guys took time out to, to come to, on the OG podcast with us. Uh, we give you... Uh, all the love that uh, you guys deserve. Anytime you guys want to come back, you're always welcomed. Appreciate and, uh, that. Thanks a lot. Big fan uh, of the show. Yeah, it it, uh, it means a lot because we're big fans of you guys. So uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time on the OG podcast. I'm Scott Bernstein for Jimmy Bucciolato and Roberto Boshane. Peace.